Welcome to What the Heck's your source for Warhammer Underworlds and under 30 new rashes that you were pretty sure weren't there yesterday. I'm your host, Davey, and with me as always, I have Phil, my co-host. How are you doing, Phil? Hey, I'm doing pretty good. And uh, we have a guest today, a man who probably needs no introduction, but we're going to introduce him anyway. we got uh, John Winries uh, of Can You Roll a Crit? How are you, John? I'm not too bad. How are, you? How are all of you guys doing? Uh, well, it's funny you should say that. I'm actually, uh, I'm actually getting a little, a little sick. Um, so it feels, it feels, uh, perfectly appropriate for this episode. Episodes. Yeah, I know. I'm doing it for the listeners. I actually just went into an urgent care waiting room and rolled around on the floor for most of the day <laughs> just to see what I could get. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, John, we've never had you on and, uh, we're gonna, we brought you on specifically today because, when when the two latest war bands released, Hrothgorns and Wormspat, uh, everyone was excited about Hrothgorns. And I say everyone, I know I'm, I'm using uh, broad terms which are not entirely accurate. And there was a lot of confusion and outcry about Wormspat. And I noticed you're, you seemed like a, a voice in the darkness saying, hey, I, you know, everybody relax. There, there's, uh, there's some cool things you got to do with them uh, or that you can, that you can are able to do with them. And I said, ah, this is, this is the person we want to have on for, for the worm spat chat. So, uh, thank you very much for making the time. Uh, and we'll get oh, into no, that. Thanks a little for bit. asking me. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, as always, we give the context we're uh, recording on the 23rd of February, uh, which means that we all just got to see a glimpse of Morgox crushes. Uh, it's three brutes who look in my humble opinion, amazing. Uh, I don't know what you guys thought. They're super dynamic amazing upgrades of the original brute models which i thought were already really great mm. uh, well yeah because it's um because the original ones were odd boys so they were like uh, the re- original black orcs but the age of sigma version of those and now we've got brutes which are the big muscle of uh the iron jaws so they're just orcs that have been fighting for so long they're like instead of getting weaker the longer they live and fight, yeah. they just get bigger and more muscular. Yeah. yeah. So it's yeah. cool to see those. For whatever reason, I, I really love uh, the leader. I assume the leader, Morgok, the guy with the plume. He's got he's got like a reverse grip on one of his chapas. And that would just like, uh, I'm swooning. I, I don't know why I like that little touch so much. But like the, the two guys running, the one guy pointing is really nice. Yeah. Like they're individually nice, but they they work really awesome together as a warband. So very excited to see those. That was, that was pretty sweet. Um, come on aggro come on back (laughs) (laughs) come on down uh as always you can get in touch with us Uh, often we're putting things up on facebook and people usually get to us by replying there but you can get us at wth cast we also have a discord that we use for all the podcasts in our network um, and we'll have a link to that in the show notes that you're welcome to hop on there uh we mentioned the main topic before we get to that we'd like to do a little bit of community shout outs uh for me in particular, when I was prepping for this episode, uh, one, there's Battle Mallet. I can't remember if we've mentioned them yet, but uh, they had a Hex Ed uh, portion of their of their most recent cast. It kind of uh, took up the most thing where they, we talked uh, Universal's Hrothgorn and Wormspat. And it was just just what I needed uh, at the time that I, I heard it because uh, I was super excited about Wormspat. And they did, they, um, they did some good talk about that. And to that effect, uh, also on Discord, Geronimus uh, Prime, as he goes there, but Battle Mallet host. Uh, Greek Town, Zach Newcomb, Riddlesworth, TDC, and especially NPE are all individuals who shared their thoughts on Wormspat, which I am uh, basically plagiarizing a fair amount for this episode. <laughs> uh, but uh, there's there's your acknowledgement, um, folks. Uh, and uh, and I say in particular NPE, who was kind enough to share his entire deck after uh, just totally housing me with it. Um, so 
Uh, I thought that was very cool of him. And they are, they're working hard on this worm's bad thing. What else out there? Uh, Jimmy Molini was on the battle cast. Uh, and I, uh, that's one thing the battle cast is really well is like a, a deep deck dive, um, or a faction faction dive. And so he's, uh, he's on there talking on the battle cast about sepulchral guard. So that was, a, that was a pretty fun, um, mm. hour chunk that's there. Fun. So yeah, good. Check it out. Uh, you felt got anything that you uh, want to shout out for the community? I, uh, feel that call it shade spires most recent article was fairly timely for this one. And that he's talking about the math behind the damage reduction for worm spat and how reliable that is and what you should be expecting. Um, yeah, I think it's a, it's a good thing to be aware of. Um, not, not necessarily something to like feel down about, but just knowing what you can rely on and how, how reasonable it, it's going to be for you. Sure. Uh, yeah, Steven van always good for a really efficient, uh, high protein, uh, read there. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, John, you got anything or should we, uh, move on to what's going on with, uh, with the lot of us here? Um, I'll probably just shout out the Reading guys. Um, okay. cause I'd say they're just, well, blog wise, everything's very busy, but the Reading guys, they're like a dedicated group of underworlds players down in the South east no south of england anyway and um, they're really good and uh, they're just they're dominating the scene i'd say they're probably the best group of underworld players in the country at the moment just because they mm. like they play so much and i just uh like shouting them out because it makes them panic so <laughs> them. all right uh we can hear the panic cries from here yeah um let's see well, then let's talk, uh, or second, what the heck is going on with you? Uh, John, as our guest, uh, basically, what have you been doing in the Underworld's hobby of late? Uh, well, I've been trying to catch up on a massive article backlog because I had to stop basically posting during December. Um, and then because tournaments have kind of like petered out down in London, the London area, even like, well, just the east of England um, and work. So I don't have much time to play tournaments in general, just with due to like other commitments. Uh, so I've just been painting, really, just painting all the warbands. I think I'm at the point where I've painted more of the Beastgrave warbands than I've won trophies with. So because I've won with three of them, uh, and I've painted five of them, I think I've almost finished the Worm Spat, uh, and then I've just started Frothgorns, and I need to finish off um, Iron Souls Condemners, and then I'll be up to date until the next week. Yeah, I, I did see the armor you had done in your worm spat. It's very lovely, uh, nicely, nicely executed. So oh, thank you. Uh, uh, all it, it goes down to all to scale 75 paint. It's just cause it looks super matte. It looks really mm. good in photos cause it doesn't really depend on the lighting direction cause it just draws in all the lights. So it just looks really good. Very cool. Uh, Phil, what have you been up to? I have been working on Frothcorn a bit. Um, been playing him in our local league and took him down to a tournament that we were both recently at down yeah. in, at cataclysm games, just North or, uh, just there in Rockford, um, took, uh, t I went two and one in the tournament, um, lost to Grimwatch, but generally, um, having fun with him, um, not, not a hundred percent sold on the deck yet i think uh i think there's a lot of tweaking still to do but um 
enjoying him at least he's fun mm-hmm. <laughs> uh he definitely uh chopped me into little bits i was at that same tournament you uh annihilated me in the second round uh i brought thundrix a thundrix deck that i thought was pretty good and had my confidence badly shaken by going one and two on the day um so uh in my casting about and then in preparation for this episode playing a lot of worm spat uh i think i'm getting i'm getting infected here i I keep (laughs) joking uh to max bernstein that uh that i'm gonna bring worm spat to adepticon and he's he's frustrated and angry he wants me to he wants me to take something meta i guess i don't know uh and so you know, I was doing it just to kind of troll him and tease him. But like the more I joke about it, the more I think I might actually do it. So <laughs> joke's going to be on Oh, me, my maybe. advice is never play the meta. Uh, that's why I did it at the January Grand Clash because I found the more you play to the meta, the more vulnerable you are to it. So mm, And it's just sure. too difficult to predict at the moment what's happened because the game's kind of like rock, paper, scissors in a bad mm. and good way. So Yeah, sure. Yeah. I agree. Do you want to elaborate on what you mean by rock, paper, scissors at all? Well, it's, it's really hard to do pure flex. Um, so you even if you're saying you're pure, pure flex, you're not really because you'll still lose to like the extremes. Like a flex deck at the moment could lose to uh, pure aggro or pure hold objectives. But the issue is the more you go into a specific play style, the more vulnerable you become at playing everyone. So it becomes really like draw dependent. Um, sure. So in a tournament, if it's gone like eight rounds, it's kind of out of control so like if you're playing aggro you kind of have to accept if i'm going aggro now i have to go full aggro i can't really flex uh mm-hmm. and if you're running a flex deck your glory ceiling is lower and it's more difficult to flex in general mm-hmm. uh i think yeah. i cracked it with my Mournflight, but that's just because i designed it to play for me and it mm-hmm. pretty right. much worked um yeah <laughs> but it's just because that's how i play and i just ignored the metal for that grand clash well i just ignore the metal when i play um, but generally I find it's really difficult to flex at the moment, which is good because, uh, flex was too good, but now it's kind of in this extreme. So if you're going, uh, pure and hold objectives, you're likely to beat flex, but then you'll lose to aggro, but aggro is more likely to lose to like control and even control is still around or flex because if the dice fail you, a flex deck will outscore a pure aggro deck. Um, mm. So if there's no aggro, then hold objective will be strong. But then it's like this weird cycle where it is balanced, but it's just very strange because from throughout Shadespire Night Vault, basically the best way to play was flex. Sure. Mm-hmm. Most of the time. It, it maybe uh, is a good argument for the way the format is now with uh, at uh, Grand Clashes where it's possible to make the cut having lost one. You know, that's you. Uh, well, yeah, I think um, the two-day format is much better because... The way you should look at it is day one is just you have to play the field. So you have to build a deck and play as as in to beat the field. And then day two, now you're playing the people who can beat the field. So you've beaten the field. Day two, you have to beat the best. Um, mm-hmm. So it's really difficult to actually do both. But mm-hmm, it also right. is very draw dependent uh, as in like who you're paired up against. So, mm-hmm. But that's the way I look at it. And I think it's been a pretty much good success for two-day Grand Clashes in general. Sure. Yeah. Seems like some good advice. Uh, well, so I, th- this talk of different play styles, it, it, uh, we're going to be coming back, uh, especially to the, uh, to the control, uh, uh, play style, but, uh, uh, let's take a second. Actually, let's do right now. Can you define control for us? So we've got aggro, which is, I'm going to go out there and hit things and kill things. 
uh, we've got hold objectives, which is I'm gonna I'm gonna score by by standing on uh, standing on the objectives or or you know interacting with them in that way. How how would you define control? Because that, that's gonna come up a bunch moving forward. And it'd be good to get that out of the way in case we have someone who's not uh, familiar. Yeah. So the only other playstyles are flex, which is a combination of two or more playstyles. Um, so usually switches between um, two or more playstyles during the game, or it's designed to do two things, but generally has a lower glory ceiling. Uh, and then you also have magic, um, which is the playstyle still in itself, but you're dedicated to magic, which is more difficult to do if you're not curse breakers, because curse breakers are silly. Uh, <laughs> and you technically will, well, you do have hunter decks. You should eventually have quarry decks. And I guess you could even have a lost page deck, but those are just, uh, those latter things are just branches. Uh, I'd still consider magic a main archetype of the game. Uh, but control is, it's really difficult and really easy at the same time, because when uh, people think of control, they think of it generally as just sitting back, doing nothing, drawing cards. And that's the easiest form of control, but I don't call it control, I call it turtle control. Some people call mm -hmm. it hard control. Um, but it's just sitting back, not really engaging with your opponent. Um, you could say, oh, I can still draw cards, they can still come at me, but your opponent is generally moving up while you're sitting back drawing cards and playing cards with your opponent isn't really a core part of Warhammer Underworlds when it's a fast-paced arena combat game. Mm. Um, so it's it's really easy to lose track of what control actually is, but control mm. is controlling your opponent, controlling uh, what they want to do and where they want to go. So mm -hmm. uh, I would actually say I'm probably more of a control player than an aggro player, but I control differently. If you've played card games all the time, you think of control as just, yeah, just the card aspect of the game. But the real strength from control is controlling where your opponent puts fighters, controlling who they attack, and controlling where they go and misleading them. And that is really, really difficult to do, especially if you're a new player, and especially mm -hmm. if you're used yeah. to controlling other types of games. Mm -hmm. um, and it is really difficult to pull off because you can't always expect your opponent just to attack who you want or control where they go. And it's more... Whereas, like, aggro is just really quite simple, just running forward and hitting people or hold objectives, just sitting on objectives. Uh, with When you properly go into control, it's more about how you position your fighters, who you give your opponent the ability to attack, how you deploy the boards, where you put your fighters, where they put their fighters. So there's a lot of um, links in the chain for error compared to the other playstyles. So it's really difficult to do. But once you mm. master it, it's incredibly strong. But I find... The people who are really good at control are players who have been playing like Warhammer or like tabletop games for a long time. So I've been playing Warhammer in general since I was 12. So it's about 16 years and more than that, 17 years. Um, so you, like if you've been playing uh, tabletop games, you learn, oh, I need to put this unit here. Or I need to send this unit here to draw where my opponent's going to go because I want to block off this objective if I control mm -hmm. this part of the board, my opponent will now go down this flank because there's more space for them. But doing mm -hmm. so, it's it's not there's not enough objectives. Uh, and you can do that a lot with lethal hexes as well. Like the easiest one is when you place diagonal configuration with the board with only a free hex gap, and you go, I'll just put a lethal hex in the middle because you force your opponent to either go down one direction or just down a central path of death if they're using the yeah. modern shard pit. Um, <laughs> But it's 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 really difficult to do proper control, and I don't think many players can actually do it. You, it's really weird if you if you expand your ideas and thoughts of control over just sitting back and drawing cards, you realize mm -hmm. you probably do it yourself anyway. Like especially in aggro, um, there's this thing in, in the aggro mirror match which I like to call the aggro deadlock, 
where both players will just sit drawing cards until they're in a position to charge with the least risk. So they're either mm, drawing yep. to make sure they have the cards they need to charge into, or they're going, uh, my opponent's going first, I need to charge in now, but if I charge in now uh, and miss, I'll score my objectives potentially, but then now they'll just start wheeling away and I've sent my only fighter in alone. Yep. Whereas I'll keep waiting, and then the last activation I'll charge in, because even if I miss, my fighter is free from retribution. Um, and it's that deadlock you're trying to break, and that's control in itself because you're both waiting for who engages first, or more importantly, sure. who makes the first mistake. Um, but it's really difficult, and it's just really not easy to play because, yeah, most people expect controllers just seeing back, doing nothing, gaining glory. Yeah, I think a lot of the aspects you you discussed, fighter placement, board placement, and uh, and channeling, and all that sort of thing, like those those are still important for the other play styles, but uh, control lives or dies on them more so. And I think, in my experience, it's it's it is uh, it's important to even more important for control to have a really strong idea of what your opponent is trying to do, so that you can impact that. Because uh, you're, yeah, you're it's very, of... it's very dependent on your game knowledge and your opponent knowledge. Right. Um, right. Like when I was playing my spike claw swarm, the biggest thing was people would usually sit back because they'd go, oh, I, you can't engage me. So I would deploy scritch near the front, and the best thing I enjoyed about playing them back in Shadespire and even Nightbolt was when my opponent realized they had nowhere to hide because I have a mm-hmm. seven hex threat range. So they yeah, deployed yeah. all the way back and couldn't reach me, and then I could go. I'm ready to charge now. So I inspire, give him great strength, damage four, and I'll charge. And they'll go, oh, yeah, he's five hex with yeah. two hex range. So he's seven hex. Yeah. Um, so it's really in mind you have to keep it like fret ranges all the time. And you have to keep track of, yeah, it's it's much easier if you know your opponent, which is kind of why if you're more aware of the meta, control's really strong because you can go like, ah, oh, they're playing like pure aggro. They're playing Magul's Fiends. I'll just um, diagonal board them and they'll just walk mm. in so I can just hold off. Mm-hmm. Well, I I think we've laid out control pretty well here. Uh, let's let's get into it. So let's let's talk Wormspad. I think I think the first thing I want to do is uh, so Brandon Huss uh, on Facebook was saying he wants to know what we think about Wormspad in general. And I'm gonna I'm gonna say that that's that's gonna be kind of the we'll broadly get to that over the course of the episode. But since we're already talking about control, do you do you feel like they are specifically a control uh, warband or is or they have other playstyles more available, or is that is that uh, is that the starting point for them? So I'd say they're predominantly a control warband, but they can either do control and aggro, which is a really rare and difficult playstyle to do, or control hold objectives, which is slightly easier but still quite risky because there's only three of them. But mm-hmm. I'd still say they're a control warband. Uh, mm-hmm. I'd actually say they're the best control warband that they've Games Workshop has designed because. They're a control yeah, let's warband. Let's defend that. Go, go for it. Like, what, what is it? What is it about them that uh, that makes them the best control? Well, they're control that has to interact with the opponent. They won't get glory from sitting back and doing nothing. They mm-hmm. control by just ruining your opponent's plan, um, mm-hmm. and their cards affect have the most effect when they're interacting with the opponent. So they mm-hmm. can't do stuff like just sit back and score glory for not moving or not taking any damage. Um, like, because they have an innate ability. So every time uh, they're dealt damage during an attack roll, when you roll a block, uh, you reduce the damage by one. Uh, and the key mm-hmm. thing I think a lot of people have missed is I put put it, point it out in my review. But uh, if they've got multiple defense rolls, they reduce it by how many blocks they've rolled. So it's not just as long as you roll one block, you reduce it mm-hmm. by one. If you reduce, mm-hmm. if you roll two block, you reduce that damage by two. 
So mm-hmm. the more ways you can increase their defense characteristic, the more damage you can negate. Mm-hmm. And they are all four wounds. Um, it's not something you can bet on, but mm-hmm. the thing is your opponent can now go, because n- normally most people just aim to get to four damage um, mm-hmm. or a way they can do four damage. The, with the worm spat, if you're attacking them, you have to do more damage than you're going to need because uh, you can't take that gamble because if you need someone dead, you're going to have to attack with a five damage attack if they're mm-hmm. unupgraded. But if they've got great fortitude, all of a sudden you go, uh, now I need to be doing six damage to one-shot someone reliably. Um, mm-hmm. So you don't have a lot of control over it, but now your opponent doesn't either because your opponent can't stop you rolling defense dice. Sure. And, um, and that's the thing is when they're <clears throat> when they're going in, uh, like you were talking about in that, in that aggro standoff, when you're, when you're making that commitment, you want to be as sure of it as possible. And it inherently introduces this, this, uh, little bit of doubt in there. Um, and other things that they, they pick up to say nothing of the fact that, uh, inspiring the two bodyguards, uh, double block is, is a great defensive characteristic, totally aside from the, yeah. the damage, you know? So, um, I've, I've found in some they, games I'm, I'm saying like, Oh, well, I only take, uh, two damage and they, they like, my opponent's like, no, you just blocked it. Like you, you, because I was busy looking at the shields that I rolled to reduce damage. They you know, like it, <laughs> and it just actually yeah. stopped the attack. I'm like, oh, right, right, right. Okay. Because the good thing is, yeah, even if someone rolls like two smash or like a smash, mm-hmm. like a hit and a crit, as long as mm-hmm. you roll one block, even though that mm-hmm. attack's going to succeed, you can still reduce the damage, which is an important thing. I mean, mm-hmm. I've seen people complain saying um, that they should reduce damage on crits as well, but I think that would have just been way too oppressive to play against because they have a 50% chance to reduce damage. And that's, if you look at the tabletop, um, you've got disgusting resilience as a general rule for Nurgle models. So mm-hmm. when they take damage on a roll of a five or six, they reduce dam- uh, reduce the damage by one. So mm-hmm. it's basically the same effect. And it, it would just be too strong in Underworlds because you would go uh, 50-50 chance just to always ignore damage every time you attack when aggro is already not in a great spoil at the moment. Um, yeah. Because these guys, in my opinion, pretty much shut down aggro um, because of the just damage negation because they're more vulnerable to like ping damage, but mm-hmm. the only ones who are running that are themselves or magic warbands. So you've yeah. got trap and pit, tra- uh, well, you've got pit trap and snare, but even yeah. then those are usually on two damage warbands. So yeah, mm-hmm. like, even if, like um, they charge in and do two damage. You go, oh, I've got a block. So you've got one wound left. It's yeah. they just mess up control by not. I mean, they mess up aggro by not dying and messing up their objectives. Sure. And I've seen a lot of their their play uh, involve them preventing pushes, which shuts down some of that snare and pit trap and and some of the stuff that you know requires you to be in a particular spot, like collapse or or what else. Um, yeah, exactly. Before they've got. Um, oh, go on. Sorry. No, I, I mean, we, we talked about some of their like stolid bulk, but we'll, we'll get to some of the cards later. Um, I, before we yeah. move on from what, what makes them a particularly strong, uh, control war band, I, I'd also like to mention, I think it's a, I think it's a strength of theirs that they have three fighters for control because, uh, it gives you the most flexibility for where you position with your starting hexes. You're not getting forced to put, you know, if you, as you get into a bigger war band, I, I can think of the games with Godsworn where I was like, ah, oh, man, I'm, I'm really running out of places to put stuff that, uh, isn't just kind of serving up Grawl on a platter or, you know, making a different fighter vulnerable more early than I'd like. They can, they have uh, a lot of flexibility. And then, uh, if you just talk about denying glory, uh, even if they are wiped out the most they could have given up, uh, you know, upgrades aside, uh, is 
uh, I mean, they're only going to give up three glory for kills, you know, setting aside any objectives. And so uh, I think that that feeds into that uh, strength as well. And then uh, the last thing, and maybe you can talk to this some, uh, is I, you, you talked about wanting to be able to counter what somebody else is doing. Uh, I think they, the fighters themselves are pretty toolboxy. You have, uh, you have good accuracy. You have somebody with range. You have somebody who can uh, do a great scything attack. You have a reliable ping. So they have, you can lean on whichever fighter is the one you want for that particular matchup to, to play into that control uh, play style. Uh, so I think that's uh, maybe a less discussed thing that makes them particularly strong at the control play style. Yeah, I mean, they've uh, we've got Fecula, who's a wizard, so she can cast spells. She's also got really... When she inspires, um, her stream of corruption spell goes from uh, focuses to channels, which makes her super reliable to hit. Um, okay. Even Septimus with his spear is range two. So even though he's mm-hmm. movement three, he's, range, uh, he's got a threat range of five, and yeah. Fecula's got a threat range of six, generally. Mm-hmm. And yeah, when Septimus inspires, he goes to free damage, which is really good. Mm-hmm. And he gets a scything attack on his spear, which is free fury two damage. So he's great at messing up horde wall bands. But you've got Gogot, who's free smash two damage, and then he goes to mm-hmm. cleave, which makes him really reliable. Just uh, getting that needed kill or damaging someone to help inspire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and cleave especially with as often as we're seeing people go on guard, it, it's uh, particularly uh, powerful now. Uh, um, but then general accuracy, like you talked about with uh, Fecula uh, going to channels on that spell. Uh, she goes to three hammers on her melee attack. Golgotch, we just mm. talked about him. Uh, the accuracy on that scything attack, that's something that we basically only have seen on like inspired uh, Harvester and I guess, Phil, help me out, uh, uh, Scaith? Molog. Scaith and Molog, yeah. yeah. Molog, sure. Um, but that's, that's, uh, of the war bands, that's a pretty rare thing to see that, uh, uh, three sword, two damage. That's a, that's as about as good a scything attack as you, as you get in this game. Uh, but his, his accuracy, you know, we've, we've talked about it before. If you're range two, you can get those accuracy boosts by, it's a little easier to get a support and, mm-hmm. uh, and you can trap somebody a lot easier than you can with a, uh, a range one. So he, he has a sort of a stealth accuracy boost that way. So, um, but uh, we, we are talking some about the inspiration, so let's let's uh, pop onto that. Um, Lord Barian is uh, wondering about their inspire condition, uh, the best ways they can accomplish this quickly, and then uh, I guess we can also at this time kind of address like how important it is to get them inspired. Is it, does it need to be a priority for you? Uh, and if so, how are you getting about doing it? Uh, so yeah, they inspire for having three or more enemy fighters that are wounded or, and well, who have wound tokens or are and are out of action so you could have one dead fighter and two wounded fighters and they'd inspire i would say inspiring is important for them because then you get the most out of gugoch and septimus Mm -hmm. just because they become really effective at just ignoring damage and dealing damage but Mm -hmm. i find they inspire really easily because if you tool your deck out with the right amount of gambits that can do ping damage you can inspire in in a single power step really easily which is yeah uh, a lot of warbands can't do that because um, mm. all you have to do is spread the damage, and especially because so many people are running calculated risk, you generally only say, have to. It's nice to have fighters. a warband where uh, where somebody where where you finally you're like, oh, nice, somebody took a calculated risk. All right, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so they inspire really easy. I think that's a shock um, when people go. They just inspire in a power step because mm-hmm. you can go. Oh, because they've got three fighters. You let your opponent go first. They do something like move in. You draw a card, then they move into range. And then mm-hmm. in after their second activation, you inspire everyone and then go and start killing people. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think you can talk just, especially to that from coming from a, 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 a scritch player, like the, the ability to to trigger your inspiration in your power step and then have an activation that it's almost like a surprise. You know, Godsworn do it a little bit too, right? Um, like that, yeah, that's, a, that, uh, that's pretty powerful. Yeah, Skaven are the most, well, Spike Claw Swarm are the biggest comparison, but even then they can only do like, um, they, it's really rare they'll inspire everyone, but it's just, uh, they're the only warband that really just entirely inspire and can, that can entirely inspire in a single power step. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it's just uh, that threat, because the thing is, once you've wounded everyone, say you're like against a horde warband or someone's down to one wound, uh, now they're in range of Fecula, she goes and you inspire, she goes from, yeah, uh, two, cha- uh, two focus to two channel, which means she's really likely just going to kill that someone and that can synergize with the other objectives as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me ask you this. I've seen some builds. Uh, in fact, the one that uh, NPE was was uh, running, uh, it may still be running, but uh, uh, stepped away from the chip uh, chip damage a little bit and was was uh, leaning on Regal Vision and uh, Blazing Soul to sort of get that uh, surprise inspire. And that was that was more the um, sort of the like you talked about the uh, the Worm Spat version that's going to try and stand on objectives a little bit. Mm. Um, rather than be so aggressive. What's, what are your thoughts on that option for the route to insp- inspiration? Uh, I don't think it's needed, but it's good if you're, uh, <clears throat> if you are running the whole objective variant, because you're generally going to be standing on objectives. Um, I'm not really a fan of Regal Vision because it will eat an activation to move on and it can pull you out of good positions because it's a card that dictates where you want to go. Blazing Solar mm-hmm. is fine, but what I find the strength of the Warband um, it's not really one key fighter inspired. It's when they all inspire, so there's a massive threat for your opponent. Sure. Um, and like Blazing Soul is fine, but it doesn't really help. It's just an, a nice side card, I'd say, not really an essential thing. Yeah, uh, fair. And I, uh, it, would, it seems to me that running those two cards means you've taken two cards out of your control sort of toolbox, right? I mean things like yeah especially with regal vision because it'll eat a, a gambit card which is they're really tight on gambits as well right uh, one thing we kind of uh overlooked a little bit in our in our previous discussion about chip damage is that uh against everyone but thorns and mourn flight uh distraction and nightmare in the shadows are, are frequently a chip damage card mm-hmm. uh, where if you have those and often you you don't want to have to use that just for one damage but sometimes you can both accomplish something useful like push somebody off an objective and also do a damage to him and, and get you that little bit there um uh sometimes it combos real nice where you you drag them forward one get that third fighter wounded who is now in range of your charge who you then finish <laughs> off like it it can really uh cascade um so i've i've really been impressed I, I, again um i think all the way back to our our first episode where we talked push ploys uh at the time just distraction but yeah uh, Distraction is uh, inherently a control card, right? Because you're you're manipulating your opponent's position uh, in an attempt to improve yours or, or deny their scoring, right? It's probably yeah, it's a control card, but it's used a lot by aggro as well. Mainly aggro players trying to get into range normally, but now mm-hmm. yeah, it's just a really good uh, control card. Yeah. Uh, let's see. So we've talked about. Uh, We've kind of talked, we've addressed some questions. Chris wanted to know if control can be a thing. And I think the sort of thesis of this whole episode is that it can be, and these are the ones that can do it. 
Dennis Vanderhoof wanted to know, is this the ultimate denial warband? You sort of uh, said that you think it's the, the best designed one for that. And uh, I just wanted to reiterate what you said. It, I've noticed that as I play it in a control play style, I don't, I, I'm drawing cards some, but not, not nearly as much as when I was, uh, you know, doing steel hearts where I draw tons of cards and maybe only make the one here. I've got things to do. You know, I'm, I'm maybe I'm going on card. Maybe I'm moving to a better, you know, to adjust my position. And it, it has felt more interactive. So uh, from that sense, it, it feels great. Um, we've kind of talked about some of the, the sub genres of aggro uh, of, of the control play style. So like um, there's, you know, I, I've seen builds that lean towards magic a little bit. Um, some that are, that have that, they flex into aggro some, some that are, uh, trying to control by destroying objectives uh, or holding them or both um, with, with that in the back of our minds, let's, let's, uh, let's maybe move on to some cards of note that we think are, are particularly uh, worthwhile. Uh, Phil, do you want to start us off here? Sure. Um, so one card that I, when I was first looking through all of their cards that I thought was really good um, was unnatural vitality um and i think i think plus one move sometimes can be overlooked because it's kind of like oh you know i i could be doing so many other things but plus one to your entire warband who are admittedly kind of slow for the entire round i think can really catch people off guard because going from three to four move changes the math on the board quite a bit um and so i just i just like having that ability to suddenly sort of flex into um meaning that your opponent is now out of position because they weren't expecting you to be as fast as you are. Um, uh, other ones, I think the burgeoning is interesting. Um, I'm not entirely sure how much you play this one, but um, this is the one where you, when you've played it now, when your uh, fighters go through lethal hexes, they get healed for one instead and they don't take, the damage um i think again it just it gives you some control over the situational um like positioning becomes much less of a problem when you don't have to worry about lethal hexes as thorns and briar or uh, thorns and mournflight players know um and again i think it's it's a way to sort of turn the tides a little bit where your opponent probably is setting something up and you can just say and now i don't have to worry about that uh, no, yeah, that's the because yeah. the good thing is like when you look at spectral wings, normally spectral wings is taken because it's plus two move. But yeah, the because it's um, unnatural vitality, it's a cycle card, so it'll persist generally until another cycle card is played until the end of the round. Yep. So when all of a sudden all your fighters go to four move for the whole round, that's a huge thing because all of a sudden, yeah, Gilgotch goes to four threat range, but then Septimus goes to six and Fecula mm -hmm. goes to seven. So it. It not only makes it easier to get where you want to go, but it's easier to reach your opponents who thought they were safe by deploying four hexes away from you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it helps with this uh, this standoff scenario that you're talking about, where uh, where you know typically if it's a spectral wing sort of play, I'm throwing one fighter in there and hoping that they you know hoping that it works out. Here you're gonna it increases the chance you're gonna get more than one, so you can you can follow up with a second wave. Um, so. Um, John, are there any uh, in-faction cards that you are particularly uh, fond of or you think uh, 
Uh, also, you can keep this in mind. I think we've got uh, we got a question. Uh, is somebody's looking for? Uh, is there an overlooked card? Um, any? Well, I think uh, Nauseous Revulsion is a huge card for them because it's another cycle card, and it's minus one dice to minimum of one for attack actions made by enemy fighters adjacent to your friendly fighters, mm-hmm. um, and that's huge because it doesn't care about their range characteristic. It just cares if they're adjacent. And especially a lot of the Beast Grave Warbands who are only range 1, who have to be next to you to do damage. All of a sudden, because they're mostly 2 dice, them going down to 1 dice is just huge at just disrupting them from attacking you. Um, mm-hmm. So they have to attack from range, which generally not many Warbands that are being played at the moment do. Yeah. Get out of here, Gristlewell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we just actually we just brought up three cycles in a row. I think uh, let's let's take a let's take a side step on a cycle. Lord Burian was asking how many cycle cards are the right amount, and I know it is going to depend on the build. Um, is cycle the right way to play them? And I guess the follow up question is: there's the uh, there's the end phase objective that scores for playing two cycles in a single round. Is that is that worthwhile? So let's let's dwell on the cycle area for a little bit. What are your thoughts on on those questions there, John? Uh, so I think cycles are pretty much essential to them because they're such strong and unique cards. Um, like I would always recommend taking Nauseous Revolution and uh, Novus Revulsion and Unnatural Vitality. Uh, Feculent Vigor is really good because um, if you're playing more aggro, that lets you reroll one dice in the next attack. So it's really strong if you're trying to go for those guaranteed uh, kills. Um, and then you've also got the Burgeoning. So yeah, that makes you ignore lethal hexes and the great thing is it won't go away until you're healed so you can move through them uh, because if you're fully wounded and not damaged you're not healed so it just persists so you could stand next to lethal hexes going yeah you can hit me and push me in but it'll just heal me instead and it just completely messes up your opponent um the only iffy one is um which one is it rampant disease because it's really situational um, but you roll one attack dice for each enemy fighter adjacent to one more friendly fighters, and for each roll of a crit, you deal one damage. So if you like, it's really good yeah. against horde war bands because you could run into like four fighters or charge two and then push them more in. And then even though it's not likely, um, you have a chance of potentially damaging four fighters. Uh, mm-hmm. But that's a really situational build that would probably find only more use in aggro. And mm-hmm. then you've got uh, their faction objective. Uh, which is uh, where one glory for playing two or more cycle ployers, the cycle, cycle of, decay. of decay. Yeah. So that's nice because the thing is, you only need to play two cycle cards in a round to score it for one glory. Um, mm-hmm. But generally, you'll be only running around three to four, so it can quite limiting. Mm-hmm. But it's a bonus if you do have a lot of cycle cards. I wouldn't say it's mm-hmm. a necessity, but the good thing about the worm spat that I like is. Even though people say their surge objectives aren't great or that the objectives aren't great in general, they have a lot of good end phase objectives, which are really rare at the moment. And I think pretty much everyone has overlooked. Um, well, let's talk about that. What what uh, what end phase objectives do you think uh, that are, are good for them that you think people are overlooking? Uh, well, you've got Cycle of Decay, but that's quite a situational one because that's more dependent. if Because um, if, if you don't have it in hand, you're kind of dependent on your power deck. Mm-hmm. Uh, Blessings free is just um, free upgrades on the single fighter, which is fine. Um, where is it? Cycle of Decay. I like Ropbringers because it's just cast two or more spells in a round for one glory, which is just nice and reliable. 
Um, Sacred Trilobe, which is Supremacy, <coughs> is it's good, but dependent on the build. And then you've just got Hold an Object, um, Spread his Blessings for holding an objective in enemy territory, which is pretty yeah. good as well, depending on so, what build you're running. I think both builds would probably fall into it because you're either moving up towards the opponent or trying to hold all the objectives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you think Sacred Trilobe is is worthwhile? Like it, it always feels dangerous to me. Three fighters, I, I can't afford to have one single fighter out of position or one single fighter go down. That feels really difficult to uh, to prevent. But have you have you found success? I mean, basically, you would only be taking this. I mean, supremacy was there anyway. Do do is there a build that's double, you know, supremacy and Sacred Trilobe? Yeah, I think that build it's really strong, but also really vulnerable at the same time. So the trade-off is you can have a much higher glory ceiling. Um, mm. And if your opponent can't kill your fighters, you can score six glory, uh, usually more, um, with the double supremacy. But it mm. is really dependent on if you're winning boards and how you're going to get to that third objective if they move away from it, or if you only have two mm. objectives. Um, but I think it's viable. It's just you have to be aware of the drawbacks. I wouldn't... Because mm. the thing is, the good thing is, because they're all four wounds and can reduce damage, it makes them really reliable at living generally. Um, mm-hmm. And the issue is, I've seen some people say like they should also have like faction temporary victory. I think that would be way too strong because they also have um, a faction card, which is um, push two friendly fighters, well up to two yeah. friendly fighters, one hex, mm. and that would yeah. just be way too oppressive because then they could score that then faction. T- uh, well. That then faction temporary victory. Oh, separate temporary victory, and then you're charging in, and they've already scored four glory, and then you're not going to mm. likely kill them because they could roll a block and live, or they'll have enough okay. glory to tool up. Um, so mm. I think it's balanced for them to the point where it's it's not um, oppressive because the issue with control war bands, it's really easy. Like the slightest change can make them really oppressive to play against, where they become mm. especially if they're too difficult to kill, uh, and you or you even miss. Um, because yeah. generally, even though there's power cards like Double Distraction now with Distraction, Nightmare in the Shadow, they've got their own basically super sidestep, then you've got sidestep, then you've got Irresistible Prize, Restless Prize, and you've got um, two steps forward. So yeah. there's mm-hmm. enough way for them to counter that without uh, you attacking. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's like a, a good point in general, because I see, see a, people, a, lot of, a lot of people upset with them. Um, and it's mainly just the objectives, but I think the issue is People were because people love Nurgle, which is fine, and I think people are expecting them to be broken basically. Because the most of the complaints <laughs> I've heard from people is that they're not broken, um, and it's just weird. Because if, if you implemented all the same changes people said, uh, this would be the most broken warband you'd ever play because 50% of the time they'd reduce damage, um, they would just be scoring glory instantly. Like, um, the cast two spells thing, I've said people, I hear people said that should have been a surge, and then mm. you go. But if you look at warbands that do that, it's usually too easy just to go cast two spells yeah. now, swan glory. You know, you've done nothing. Mm-hmm. You're all the way over there. And I'm just going to do this while we're not engaging and scoring glory. Um, mm-hmm. So I think it helps change them in because it's like, yeah, if they could just score glory really easily without engaging, it would just be too oppressive. Well, let's let's take a, a while we're while we're talking about holding objectives. We'll, we'll take a, a brief detour into uh, non-faction cards. What are your feelings on coveted spoils and uncontested for these? I've I've seen some pretty good stuff. If you're also including objective destruction um, and with the distractions and such, uh, the one being strong, you know, coveted spoils being stronger into uh, an opposing hold objective warband. I found it helps keep pace. 
and then uh, uncontested uh, helping against aggro. I thought about that, but the issue is like um, the issue with coveted spoils and uncontested. They're really great in like best of ones, but in best of threes, they're almost too difficult to pull off in all the games. Mm. And the issue is, especially with destruction, distraction, and nightmare in the shadows. I generally use them um, to help inspire or keep off objectives. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't think there's enough for them to flip because you have got Invert Terrain, um, Abyss of Sun Making, and then Unexpected Pitfall. But the leave issue is... Ah, uh, yeah, and leave nothing to chance. The issue is, um, if you rely on especially those two spells, you make Fecular way, way more important. Uh, and the, in the next game, your opponent will go, I'll just kill Fecula first. Yeah. Then, and then, then you all have of the Yothari problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. And even yeah. though she's more survival than Yothari, it's still that issue where um, she is only one block inspired. She just becomes more deadly. So that trade-off mm-hmm. is if they don't kill her, she'll kill them. But mm-hmm. it's still not... A, uh, the opponent, Once the opponent figures out she's a key linchpin of your warband, she, they will generally gun for her. Because once they kill mm-hmm. her, it kind of would mess up your deck in general, because that's the same issue uh, Yofari's Guardians have, um, and an issue Gutsbreakers don't have, because they're silly. <laughs> no argument uh, here. <laughs> uh, well, it's uh, a couple other cards I thought were interesting. So they, they there's Seeping Rot, which is the score immediately if somebody attacks you while you're on an objective and you are still alive mm-hmm. and on that objective after the attack. And this doubles down with, uh, uh, what's the... Uh, Something defender, steadfast defender. Yeah, there steadfast we go. Steadfast defender. Thanks. Um, I found that interesting playing against them, and again, it's different in best of one versus not. And so this this may be because I've mostly played best of one with them. Is that they'll they'll step a Nurgle fighter will step onto an objective, and you say, "Well, man, like now now my attack, which was you know maybe fifty eight percent to go off or something like that." It has the additional risk of not only do I, if I miss, do I uh, end up, uh, you know, not having done anything with that activation, but I may have also scored them a glory. Uh, so there, and it creates interesting mind games. Um, hard to say for sure uh, whether it's worth it. Uh, but I, I yeah, because like, a lot I'm of their enjoying. surges require your opponent to engage with you. Um, mm-hmm. So you've also got blessed endurance uh, where you're attacked. By a damaged characteristic of three or more and survive. Uh, and the good thing about that is if you negate the damage because the original attack was still free, um, you still score that. But the issue is um, it's dependent on your opponent engaging on you. Um, but yeah. then the, the trade-off is you can store you can score stuff while your opponent's trying to stop you. Like that's why I think the objective variant is really quite good with the faction objectives, because if your opponent doesn't attack you, you can go, I'm not gonna attack you, it's like fine, supremacy and sacred trilobe and then they'll go oh uh and like especially if you've got temporary victory and like swift capture mm-hmm. and just other hold objective cards the more they don't attack you the more you score glory which is great for <laughs> yeah. you because if they're relying on push cards to push you off you will have more push cards to stay on um and then even aggro builds for that can kind of use it or that's more risky where you just charge on into opponent's objective and then just it would like annoy grimwatch to an extent but it's, sure. that's the thing, because you, if you just block off their objectives by standing on them uh, and they can't push you off with cards, they have to attack you off. Mm. And uh, and that's kind I've of actually, an aspect is, of control. Mm-hmm. This is the first warband that I've, I've uh, included and been pretty happy with Stoneform being on. Um, yeah, that's once a really up, good thing for them. Yeah. 
Yeah, because you you get on and it's that control. Say, I'm I'm going to stand on this objective, and unless you, there's a handful of ways they can get around it, right? Mischievous spirits, uh, restless prize, and then confusion has been kind of a, a pain yeah. in my backside. But uh, but outside of those three pretty specific cards, once you are a big fat two block fighter standing on something and can't be pushed, especially for someone like Sepsimus who can then just reach out and keep poking people from there. Um, that's that's a pretty dominant spot to have. Um, that's that's yeah. uh that's created some interesting problems so uh but you know, yeah, especially that, with um stolid bulk their faction card where they can't be driven back so if you mm-hmm. combine stolid bulk stone form and survival instincts you can mm-hmm. make the entire warband immune to being driven back which is mm-hmm. huge in itself mm-hmm. yeah um i have seen people uh slide in and uh Maybe they've been considering it's a uh, hidden presence where you can't be chosen by gambits. Uh, yeah. There's another way to, to prevent, protect yourself from things like uh, distraction and actually confusion in that case too, as well as uh, many of the many of the chip damage uh, spells all then. Um, so a, a lot of different ways. And so, But this is kind of getting at, we've talked about a lot of different cards and a lot of different kinds of cards. I think almost, uh, it's too grand a statement to say, but I, I'd say uh, they are right up there with warbands that have the most competition for cards. I know, I know it's not easy to build anyone's power deck, but here I feel like you have to have a really, really strong idea of what it is you're going to be doing because, uh, and, and this is the idea of if I'm going to, like you were talking about the, um, the rock, paper, scissors idea. If I'm control, I want to be able to shut down, uh, opposing control. I want to be able to shut down objective play. I want to shut down aggro. And that's a lot of different ways to get pulled, uh, with your cards. Uh, so, uh, that's that's something I found particularly challenging here. You know, I'll think I have a good idea for a deck and realize that it's a, you know, thirty-six card power deck. <laughs> By the time I get done yeah, putting in everything I thought I needed, so yeah, the biggest uh, challenge I found is building something that can play against everything. Which is why I think I prefer their aggro build because mm-hmm. the hold objective build is fine, but the biggest flaw is it struggles in best of three, but mm-hmm. it more so struggles if you lose boards, um, mm-hmm. yeah. and that's something you can't control. Um, cause yeah, I, I term their aggro build as like Nurgle's carnival because you've got, uh, in the old background, uh, well, Nurgle's roving carnival and that's how I pretty much see them. They rove around just spreading Nurgle's blessings and just annoying your opponent by running towards them and just not dying. Yeah. Um, cause yeah, I find with the aggro build, um, you're doing a lot of ping damage. So you inspire quickly, you're disrupting objectives well. And you deal with aggro quite well as well, because once again, there's not much aggro. And aggro you run into can't really deal with you, because they're teched purely to just do four damage. They can't really generally go above that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, let's. Uh, so Lord Barian was asking as well, we already talked about their damage negation. Is there anything, you know, we talked about uh, comboing into it, so... Um, I've seen like to, to really kind of capitalize on that. So things like healing or further negation, I've, I've seen, uh, you know, Fecula when she's sporting Eldritch Ward and her natural dice, she's a real pain in the neck. Um, as far as that goes, you know, she's chopping some three damage hits down to a one damage hit. Um, uh, another one would be, uh, was it, uh, substance siphon? Is that the... Yeah, that's the one that uh, gives you a, a defense characteristic of dodge and a number of dice equal to the round number, and it can't be mm-hmm. modified. Mm-hmm. So 
not great in round one, but in rounds two or three, Fecula is then on two or three dice, and suddenly if you roll any blocks, yeah, they're not successes, but they're still going to reduce damage. Mm -hmm. And the dodges will will end for you, and, and obviously the more dice you roll, the more crits that are possible. So. Yep. Yeah, that's why I like equipment with her, because, yeah, because two dodge is the same success rate slightly as one block, but you have two more chances to roll crits. But yeah, the good thing about Substance Typhon with Fecula is after, from round two, it's just a pure buff because she'll either defend the attacks or reduce the damage. Because yep. yeah, if you, you're either rolling free dodge or you're going to roll free block to reduce the damage by free. I think mm -hmm. Soothing Companion's a good shout. Um, Eldritch Ward, yeah, for her. But then you've also got Potion of Constitution. So if you put yep. that on a fighter, all of a sudden they'll go, oh, now I'm doing free damage that can potentially go down to one. Um, mm -hmm. And then you've got Lucky Escape. So if you reduce the damage, so you attack by a two damage attack, you reduce it to one. Now you can reduce it to nothing. Yeah. For uh, sure. I think Lucky Escape is one that is uh, real strong for them because exactly like you talked about, you may reduce it an attack down to one and just make it fail entirely by doing no damage. But a lot of times, like you were saying earlier, uh, chip damage can be a can be kind of a weak spot for them, and that is a, a direct counter to that. So it, it's helping you if somebody bumps you into a lethal or or uh, you know hits you with a sphere of Axie or, or something like that. Like they can really throw off somebody's math. Yeah, because it just uh, that because uh, even if you like even if you run into a lethal hex, because it's every time you're dealt damage, um, mm -hmm. so you still dealt it. You just ignore the damage. Yep. Mm -hmm. And I think I think anything that gives them re-rolls on their defense dice can be really strong too um just because even if you know you can't stop the attack you can just fish for blocks to try and reduce the damage um which can obviously be a huge pain sure or fish whatever you need you know say say they're coming in with enough damage to to kill you even if you reduce it then now fish now for, crits, yeah. for crits yeah so now if i'm two block I'm basically rolling three dice, and if one of them comes up a crit, you know, then I'd probably uh, stomped it out. So, um, we also like combining um, their ploy card that well, the cycle card, which is uh, yeah, nauseous revulsion, and then giving someone um, the cloaked upgrade. So if they're attacking from cloak of shadows uh, range, yeah. So if they're attacking Ooh, from ranges yeah. two or more, you're, oh, if yeah. they're not attacking adjacent to you, you're going to have more defense. So they'll have to actually. No matter what, they'll be in a bad position when you've got that card played. Yeah. I have totally forgotten about that card. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Great. Uh, ooh, yeah, that's amazing. I was thinking, I was like, I don't think there's another way to get an extra dice on, on these fighters. But there there it is. Of course. Of course there is. So, uh, well, very cool. Uh, do you feel like, I, I did a little playing around with the idea of, of some healing, you know, um, you know, making, you know, playing around with the idea of like, well, let's see, if I, if I, stack up a little bit on on fecula and uh that wretchling that can give her a free channel uh and then all of a sudden uh, uh surge of vitality is that what it is um yeah. vital surge, life surge, vital surge and then you've got a vital surge as well yeah um i i like the idea of it it felt maybe a little bit too passive like here here's i'm gonna make sure my guys don't die but i'm not actually making progress towards winning the game so i think i kind of ran yeah i mean i've looked at life surge the most the issue is it just goes against you inspiring um mm -hmm. and then the problem with vital surge you, you'd have to tech into magic for it uh, i really yep. miss healing potion so if i could yeah. get healing potion back that'd be amazing for them <laughs> um but that's why the burgeoning isn't is quite decent for them because someone like 
it just protects you from lethal hexes and it's a nice way to heal you without healing your opponent. I mean, I like mm -hmm. Soothing Companion as well, uh, but that's mm -hmm. that would mostly go on Fecula, really, because she's the one who makes the most use out of it. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. um, all right. Has anybody got any other cards they want to cover? Or can we talk a little matchup here? Let's talk some matchups. Uh, well, you've got Champion's Fortitude, which is the only universal for rerolling defense dice, but yep. I don't think there's anything yeah, yeah. else. Yeah. Uh, no, I can't think of... I mean, there's... Uh, Fecula could be doing ERS instant shield if she wants. Um, she can she can dig her way oh. into a reroll there, but it's pretty restricted to her. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, not pretty it is. So, no, but that, I guess. That's oh, and you've also got um, uh, the repost spell. So it's two channel, but after a failed mm -hmm. attack, you do uh, on two channel, you do two damage to sure. the fighter that sure. attacked one of your fighters. Yeah, and uh, if you're rolling two block, you're going to see some out there. So yeah, I, I think there's some interesting. Uh, fecula builds and i haven't i haven't toyed or really seen it but it feels like possibly doable um with uh hidden paths not being in the game it's a little little bit easier to hide somebody but uh yeah not not, uh, not foolproof but um let's see well uh, let, let's talk matchups so uh we'll uh we'll kind of run through some of the the big dogs some of the the ones that we see on top of the meta what we feel like that and then uh we'll do wild card if anyone wants to mention uh some matchups that they think are are interesting or difficult or, or something like that so what uh of let's say of curse breakers grimwatch and thorns um how do we let's say let's say grimwatch and thorns they have some overlap i know they're they have their significant differences how do you feel like they play into those presuming that they're those are you know doing their usual hold objective with some aggressive uh, flex? Well, I think Thorns they do actually really well into because generally Thorns, um, even though you're, if you're if you're running like your ping deck, your distraction and Nightmare in the Shadows won't damage them. It will stop them off objectives and also push them into places where they're now vulnerable from being killed, uh, mm -hmm. from like uh, Encroaching Shadow and Collapse. Mm -hmm. Um. And they have a lot of easy fighters to kill that can't return. Um, and even though they have can score some objectives quite easily, they still have to come close to you, which is what you want. Um, mm -hmm. So you can mess them up quite well. It's not too bad of a matchup. I'd say that's about like a 5-5. Five -five. So the way I look mm -hmm. at it is like in fighting games. So you've got uh, a 10-point scale. So you go, mm -hmm. I'd say that matchup is maybe like 5-5 five -five or 6-4 to the Thorns. It's uh, For that aggro build... Uh, like the Nurgle's Carnival build for the Wormspat, I would say it's about a 5-5, five, 6-5. Five, five. The Grimwatch mm -hmm. is an issue because uh, the problem I find with Grimwatch in general, they have like a 60% chance to just score their deck really easily. Uh, yeah. So I call it like the, the Grimwatch 10 glory turn because in a turn they'll score 10 glory by going like uh, in the name of the king, um, temporary victory, shifting madness, um, probably calculated risk, combination strike, yeah. opening gambit, and then usually a supremacy to push them into 10. Um, yep. And this issue is just a lot of glory from not really doing anything. And it's really difficult for any warband to run into. But when mm -hmm. they're not doing that, I still think it's quite viable because um, once you kill Grisselwell uh, and you're pushing in, the Grimwatch generally fall apart to the Wormspat mm -hmm. because... Mm -hmm. If they're not inspiring, the only one who can really do any damage is um, Crack Marrow, but he's now only two smash. And sure, you can go up yeah. in damage, but once you've got rid of Chrysowell, they've got no damage output whatsoever. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Well, back to the Thorns matchup. Do you, so I've played it, I think, a couple times, and I found what I was doing was uh, running around and, and smashing the little ghosts as fast as I could and counting on uh, good defensive stats and damage reduction to slow the queen down enough that her activations were then not very efficient. You know, she was, she was jumping in and she was taking a swing, but you know, uh, three swords on, on two block often just misses. And then even if she does hit is not sometimes not doing as much damage. It just takes her, she took too long to, to cut through somebody. Um, it was generally a strategy I was feeling pretty successful with. The issue is when you're running into thorns, they really don't want you attacking the chain rasps. So -hmm. the quicker you kill the chain rasps, the quicker they fall apart. Um, yeah. cause that's when I'm playing with them, I'm throwing the queen in just as a distraction. Sure. If she kills someone, that's great. But generally she's buying time for the chain rasps to either swarm the opponent or get an objectives. So the, mm-hmm. um, the good thing is like, you can just quickly focus down on the chain rasps and mm-hmm. just completely mess them up because they'll usually mm-hmm. send in the ever hanged in. Um, so once you kill him, they have to send in the queen and once the queen's in and she's not really doing damage, you can just still focus on the chain rasps. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's talk about, uh, let's talk about curse breakers. Another, another big one. What do you feel? What's your, what would you give your number rating into the curse breakers matchup for, uh, for worm spat? I'd say it's about, it's still about a five, five, um, mm-hmm. or even a six, four to the curse breakers. The issue is, uh, it's annoying against the curse breakers cause they have a lot of ping damage, but on the other hand, the, for them to, for their spells to be in range generally, they have to be near you, and being near th- you is uh, enough to engage. The only mm-hmm. thing you have to watch out is for Amis, because she just goes to free damage inspired. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but the issue is, it, you've got some ways to build around that. Um, mm-hmm. But it's just, it's a weird matchup, because you're both trying to ping each other. But mm-hmm. the, the advantage with the Worm Spat is their ping deck will have more range, because they don't need line of sight generally. They just need to... Um, get someone on an objective or on an edge hex, which is generally quite easy against the curse breakers because they'll usually sit back because they want you to come near them. And mm-hmm. you can combo off that by like, yeah, by charges and then like distraction while well, pushing someone into a lethal hex and then pinging them with damage cards. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, how about, uh, how about lady hero and this Tom bond specifically? Well, first he wants to know if you, he comes to your London tournament, will you fix his matches if he brings Nurgle? Um, yes, he'll he'll so. play me every round. <laughs> <laughs> All right, there you go, Tom. Easy street. Uh, then his other question is uh, uh, about whether you think Lady Heroes or Wormspat are a better control warband and why. And then uh, we can tail off that how we feel about the two playing into each other. So I think it's a difficult question because they both do control differently. So the Wormspat excel at. Um, doing control by just not dying by bouncing off your opponent and just disrupting their plans. Whereas the Lady Harrows, when they're playing control, they're doing more to control where someone goes. So they're just out of range or so that you can charge. Uh, but it allows the rest of the warband to move suit through someone to inspire. Um, mm-hmm. Because I'd still say um, Lady Harrows and Warflight are way more um, brittle compared to the worm spat so the issue is they have got two dodge but mm-hmm. if you fail those two dodges they usually explode whereas yeah. the worm spat can keep on going mm-hmm. so it, it's difficult because they both do control differently um so yeah because um yeah lady harrows excel when the opponent's not near them whereas the worm spat do the opposite mm-hmm. um 
are there so we've kind of run those let's uh what about uh what about hrothgorn slash and it's probably a fallacy to include these two together but hrothgorn malog like the the big boy war bands uh what do you feel i think they do really well i'd probably say it's probably six four to the worms fat and probably a seven three to the worms fat against malog because Mm. once again the Molog's encounter like just relying on his damage going through but when all of a sudden his damage has been reduced by like to, from three to two or four to three. Um, and there's no one for him to kill easily to get that glory. Whereas you can just start pinging, oh, you've put the, um, the Stalus Quig on an objective that takes one damage. Uh, they're on an edge hex, they take one damage. It, it's really, and Molog will generally run through lethal hexes himself to inspire. Um, so you inspire quite quickly and they have better objectives than Molog. Uh, and against Hrothgorn, um, he can't inspire against anyone reliably because uh, he needs to kill someone adjacent to him. And you don't really have to worry too much about Horrorfagons until they're inspired. Uh, but they want you to they want you to be near them to inspire. So it's mm-hmm. it's actually a pretty good matchup because once again you can farm the Noblars for for glory and they usually send sure. Frafnir in because he's your poker. So mm-hmm. you just kill Frafnir and then you just inspire the warband. Yeah, I will say the uh, the uh, trap feels like feels like a bit of a scary thing, um, given your your uh, movement. I uh, I'm always worried about that uh, having the combo of uh, bushwhacker running forward, throwing it on the ground, and then center attentioning you uh, forward. Um, two two damage that you can't yeah. mitigate is, is a little painful. That's always an issue, but I usually um, play around that by if they deploy bushwhacker far forward. Um, mm-hmm. generally if they want to do that they have to sacrifice cards so you can mm-hmm. tell when they're going to set that up generally because uh, mm-hmm. it will catch you off first time um, mm-hmm. but I usually punish Hrothgorn players for placing the trap because generally mm-hmm. they place it out in a position where they can't do much and they're still trading a fighter to damage you which, unless mm-hmm. like because um, what I like to do is the funniest thing I've done with the trap was put the trap in lethal hex and then killed Yafari with a distraction for free damage. But against yeah, yeah. the worm spat, it's really difficult for them to do that. So most they're doing is two damage. And even then, now they've just sacrificed Bushwhacker for you to kill to help inspire and farm glory off of. What about uh, <clears throat> so those are some of the big names floating around? Are there any are there any noteworthy matchups you think are, are worth mentioning because they're particularly easy or difficult or uh, or have a weird twist to them? Yeah, so Ripper Snarlfangs hate the Worm Spat because because yeah, um, they're only two damages. Um, it's you could have the thing where the first attack succeeds, but they only do mm-hmm. one damage, and then the Snarlfang mm-hmm. attack succeeds, but they only take one damage. So instead of going, oh, Ripper's going to do four damage, he's now only done two. Or none at, or like just one, because um, usually people will poke with Ripper to go snare and pit trap. But when all of a sudden mm-hmm. you go, yeah, he, he goes through, but he has two damage to one, and your Snarf Angel mm-hmm. misses. So now you can only do three damage to someone instead of four. It just mm-hmm. really annoys them. Um, and then, what is it? It's just. Yeah, I think those. Like, Thundrix is a weird matchup, but if you're running Fly Swarm which is minus one dice to uh, enemy attacks with three or more range. It's really mm. messes them up as well. And also because Thundrix like to bunch up or, or like just hug the walls, it's still quite easy to inspire and they're all vulnerable to lethal hexes apart from Drexkewer. Mm. Um, so it's yeah. still a pretty even matchup, but it is like, uh, I find games for the Wormspat usually change when they all inspire 
because all of a sudden, mm. once again, you just catch your opponent by surprise if you inspire in a power step, and then all of a sudden you're like, I'm near you. Septimus charges in. He's either doing two damage to everyone, or you can give him great strength. But then you can combo that off. Like, if you've somehow inspired without using a lot of your ping cards, he can run into people, like a group of free wound fighters, ping them all down to one uh, from his attacks, push them near uh, lethal hexes, and then you can use, like, distraction or, like, your gambit cards to kill them mm -hmm. to trigger more objectives. So it's mm -hmm. just, yeah, it depends how quickly they inspire in some matchups. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the... Uh... I found that, and then it, they can be just tough to hit, you know, uh, two, two block. Um, I think, uh, I was playing Zach Newcomb and, and, uh, spent an entire, an entire, uh, final action round taking shot after shot and just not landing the hits. You know, once I had a couple, couple bumps, I think survival instincts was on one of his fighters and it was just too hard to, too hard to land a hit and score anything that I had. So um yeah because i when, think when, a big thing is people look at the damage reduction and go it's not always going to work and you're like that's right but you're not always going to hit either i think the mm -hmm. trap a lot of people have is when they attack they expect to hit whereas i'm lawyers i expect to miss so when i charge i don't think i'm going to hit at all um so if i hit it's a bonus because yeah. it's a dice game so nothing's guaranteed sure. yeah uh, but it's just, that's just a mindset for people in general mm, for sure i feel I found uh, Skaven to actually be a little bit uh, of a weird head scratcher because I think in my specific we we were diagonaled and uh, they were it was a build that was Voltroning up. Uh, in this case, it happened to be lurking, but I don't think that was the original plan. I think that was just how it how it worked out. Um, but uh, I would get damage on him, but before I could inspire, he'd end up you know I'd end up killing him and then he'd come back and I'm like oh man I'm I'm back it's starting from scratch again on the inspiration. Uh, yeah, you really yeah. have to watch out for warbands that can return fighters, because mm -hmm. the weird thing is, like, if you're playing against Grimwatch, or even other warbands that can return fighters, the smart thing to do is, if they send you a fighter that's wounded, you just ignore them. So if they charge you with someone who's ran through a lethal hex to score calculated risk, um, mm -hmm. you would go, alright, unless you're going to score, like, three or four glory from killing that fighter, it's generally a trap, because they'll go cool, I'll kill that fighter, and then they'll resurrect them. So all of a sudden, you go from having one out of two fighters wounded to one out of action who's now resurrected. So even yeah. though they've wasted an activation to resurrect a fighter, they've now stopped you inspiring. So, But I think if you've played Garrick's Reavers or even um, Grashrex the Spoilers, you'll be more aware how to play around that. But it's something mm. to keep in mind when you're running against warbands who can resurrect fighters because... If an opponent's trying to slow you down from inspiring, they will send in fighters you can kill because mm -hmm. to them, the dead fighter is more useful to them than wounded because then they can just bring them back even though you'll get mm -hmm. a glory or stop you inspiring. Mm -hmm. Or worse, in the case of my game, where Expendable got on that guy and then uh, uh, was, yeah. <laughs> was obnoxious as heck. Uh, I, I, I'm... I'm frequently surprised when some of those Skaven cards come down I'm like oh that's really good why don't I see these guys more so uh, yeah all right does anybody got any other matchup uh discussion they want to talk before we uh, start to head towards wrapping this up okay uh so let's see we've got a we got a few uh we call this the miscellaneous section uh which is uh, something that seems to get longer and longer um Dos Esos, our own uh Aaron is asking who's the second in command of this warband because for his uh, OCD, he needs to know what order to store his fighter cards in. Uh, Phil, who do you think is the second in command here? 
I think it's Sepsimus, but I honestly have nothing to base that off of. I, it can't be because he's got a he's got a no mouth holes and nobody can hear uh, hear if he's giving orders. So I think he's got <laughs> to be on the totem pole. <laughs> oh, he's a sign language. Uh, all right, fair enough. Yeah, but he doesn't uh, use his hands. <laughs> oh my! Yeah, some of that like bug bug communication <laughs> stuff. Or or uh, chaining off of that, Matt Martin wants to know who's the sexiest fighter and why is it Sepsimus? <laughs> <laughs> Sepsimus uh, is up there. I mean, unfortunately, it has to be. So it's kind of cheating, but I'd say the Ungors, uh, but mainly the Ungors from behind, because uh, sure. they just have <laughs> the smoothest Shapely, views. Yeah, yeah, it's well, really, I, I, I really quite I impressive. <laughs> I can't yuck anyone's yum. You know, there's there's uh, someone out there for everybody. So. You know, <laughs> um, there was also some discussion that uh, we've we've uh, passed on uh, about uh, uh, broadcasting voices. We're gonna yeah. we're gonna ship that one over to uh, Battle for Salvation to yeah. deal with in their their twenty twenty one undies. Um, so we'll we'll see how that goes. <laughs> but, uh, I think that's gonna about do it for us for today. Um, there, man, I feel like there was even more that I would have uh, I would have I would have talked about these guys for another hour, but uh, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to wrap up here. Um, John, did you have anything else you wanted to cover before we start to close up? Uh, well, I think, so the Worms are amazing at shutting down aggro and pretty good at shutting down hold objectives. I think mm-hmm. what people have at the issue is just with the meta as it is now, um, Grimwatch is just kind of, not out of control, but just a big issue. Um, and these guys kind of suffer against Grimwatch, but I think everyone does. And I would say mm, Grimwatch sure. have just been an issue for everyone. Because um, walking into the game, the way I play it is, uh, I just you, it's really difficult to stop surges. But if you can stop end phase objectives, that's the big thing because now you can only you have a minimum of six. Um, so if you stop your opponent scoring an end phase objective, that eats them uh, from scoring their deck. But the issue mm-hmm. with the Grimwatch, they can do um, opening gambit, solid gains, which is fine. But then you've got combination strike, and because the surges mm-hmm. are so easy. It's just yep. they have this cascade which affects everyone. So I think people are just unfairly looking on the worm spot, partly because they wanted them to be overpowered slash broken. Um, mm-hmm. They're a really well-balanced warband, which is what I like, but I think that's not what people are hoping for. Um, sure. But it's also just the cascade effect of the Grimwatch in general and certain mm-hmm. other warbands, but just mainly the Grimwatch, really. Mm-hmm. Sure. I mean, I've, I've just found it to be a tremendous fun to play with. Uh, they're just, like you said... Uh, I, I think I enjoy that control play style. I'm, I'm certainly not as good at it as uh, a lot of people, uh, but I enjoy, I enjoy trying to play in that way. And, uh, and the fact that it is that play style, but also more interactive, um, is, is pretty fun. So, um, yeah, I've had, I've had a, uh, I've had a great time with them. So if you haven't tried them, you should, um, Phil, any last thoughts here? I just think that, uh, this release, both Hrothkorn and, uh, the worm spat have been really good. I think they've done a lot of really good things for the game. Um, and I like, or, and maybe this is just me and my insanity. Um, but I really like that they both play at control pretty well. Um, cause I enjoy control and I think it, it, it gives you a, uh, a different avenue to try things out and people don't always expect that. Um, so very enjoyable to have two more war bands that work that way yeah um all right well uh we're gonna get to our outro here john really uh want to appreciate you to uh, say thanks for uh, making the time to to come on and chat um 
if people are looking to get in touch with you, uh, your blog is a good place to start, right? Yeah. Uh, well, you can even hit me up on my blog, which is canyarollacrit.com or Twitter. I'm pretty active on Twitter, which is just canyarollacrit on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, yeah. But yeah, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure being on because I think, yeah, it's just I've seen so many people whine about the worm spat, which is understandable. But I think mm-hmm. some people have gone just too far. I don't think they're in that bad of a spot. Um, yeah. I think people are just upset. They're not broken. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, for folks who have not been over to Kenya Roller Crit in a while, you should do so. There has been quite the deluge of articles of late uh, as, as John works through his backlog. So it's been some entertaining reading. Uh, for getting in touch with us, there's at WTHCast on Twitter, whatthehexcast at gmail.com. We do have our Discord for all the Mortal Realms podcasts. Uh, you can get on the mortalrealms.com to have a link to just about anything you need uh, for that. Um, we've got a Patreon if you want to do a little tip jar. And uh, we'll be coming back at you in a couple weeks. Uh, Phil and I are going to have to uh, get our heads together and, and figure out well, what exactly that's going to be. We have a whole bunch of different things on the burner. Yeah, um, It may be Adepticon prep. Uh, we're, we're not sure. So we'll, Look, because Adepticon we'll is like a month away now, isn't it? yeah oh my god yes it's so close (laughs) Uh, i feel like i was much more certain about what i was taking last year at this point but uh no that's not true because i i think exactly the same thing happened i think uh godsworn dropped and i started goofing around with them to uh for the podcast and fell in love with them and then uh brought them to adepticon and i think the same thing's happening with wormspat so yeah we'll see (laughs) uh your recommended listening for this episode is uh touch me i'm sick by mud honey and green disease by pearl jam (laughs) Yeah, uh, uh, for what the heck's I've been, Davey. This is Phil, and I'm John, and I can right. roll crits. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, you can. Um, well, we've got, uh, we've got some questions, a lot of kind of silly questions, um, but we'll, we'll just kind of work through or we'll go welcome, <clears throat> welcome to what the heck's your source for Warhammer Underworlds in under 30 barely suppressed coughs.